6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of 1 Peter, an introduction and chapter 1, part 1. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We know that you have ordained this time, that all our appointments are by your design. So we pray that this time would be used in a way that would please you. We pray, Father, for the recordings, and may the, our thoughts and our words be acceptable in thy sight as we commit this time and ourselves into your hands. In the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, we're going to undertake a review of the epistles of Peter. And I think there isn't any person that's more colorful, uh, more endeared to most of us, than this interesting character that goes by the name of Simon or Peter. And an interesting guy in many ways. And uh, so that's, that's our undertaking. Is to, he wrote two letters. We're going to take 1 Peter chapter 1. As a, we'll start as an introduction. I don't expect to get through this whole chapter this time. It's one of the lengthier chapters in his letter. His original name was in Hebrew, Simeon, or Simon as it's sometimes rendered. And uh, that's the way you see it in the New Testament, a Greek name of similar sound to Simeon. His father's name was Jonah. He was Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. And uh, so he, he was married, we, know, we learned from Mark 1, and uh, in his missionary days at least, his wife accompanied him because we find occasional references there. His place of origin was Bethsaida, on the northern shore, in fact, almost the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. But it was primarily a Greek city, interestingly enough. It's over on that east side. But he also had a home in Capernaum, in Galilee. That's also uh, uh, on the northern shore of the so-called Sea of Galilee. It's really a lake, but it's, everybody calls it the Sea of Galilee. And... Uh, Capernaum had his synagogue and his home there, uh, and uh, it has been uh, excavated, what we believe was his home that grew to become a meeting place, uh, an auditorium of sorts. And so uh, he spoke Aramaic with a strong North Country accent, we learn from Mark 14. And he maintained the piety and the outlook of his people. So even though he was a fisherman, he was uh, apparently a dedicated Jewish observer, and, uh, but he was not trained in the law specifically, but his uh, literacy is not in question. He's obviously very literate, especially after, his, uh, after the Holy Spirit, after Acts chapter 2. In fact, it's a fascinating contrast to study Peter's discussions and, and uh, verbal involvements in the, in the Gospels with the remarkable articulation and craftsmanship in his two sermons in Acts, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, and following, very skilled, a real evidence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, 
It's his, his brother, Andrew, was a disciple of John the Baptist, so it's likely that uh, Peter also may have been influenced by John the Baptist's ministry prior to some of the things that we'll read about here. So, he was a fisherman in the Sea of Galilee, and it's interesting that you can actually uh, visit and see and examine a boat like the one that was prevalent in his day fishing. At a, at a uh, kibbutz, North Gennesar, that's a kibbutz right on the Galilee there on the northwest corner. In about 1985 and 86, there was a drought, very drastic drought. The Sea of Galilee was lower than it had been in, in, for many, many, many years. And in the mud, in the low, in the low, uh, with the low uh, water line, a 26-foot boat, about a 7-foot beam, was discovered in the mud. And very skillfully, fortunately, they contacted the right experts, and they found a way to preserve it by uh, replacing it with, with the, the polyurethane and so forth. And so they went through a very extended process to carefully remove and preserve this uh, boat. And uh, carbon-14 dating of the boat gave a date somewhere between 60 B.C. and 60 A.D. So it certainly embraces the period in which we have so much uh, a recording in the Gospels of the fishermen on Galilee. So it's not necessarily his specific boat. We have no way of knowing that. But it was a very skillfully crafted and very carefully, uh, frequently repaired boat that uh, was obviously uh, very dear at, uh, to its owner back then and gives us some grasp. In the Gospels, we read of Jesus sleeping on that boat with his head on a pillow. The actual term is really for a sandbag they used for trimming the boat, by the way. But anyway, getting back to the Gospels, the fourth Gospel, the Gospel we know is the Gospel of, uh, of uh, John, describes a period of, of Christ's activity before the commencement of the Galilean ministry. And uh, this may be referred to uh, in Peter's first introduction to him by Andrew's agency, because Andrew introduces him to Christ. And... Uh, his, his, he had been met, introduced to Christ earlier, but he was then called by the lakeside in Mark chapter 1, and then subsequently called to the inmate band of the twelve. So there's two steps there that often cause some confusion. An initial introduction, then a call to be a follower, and then to be a member of the twelve. Those are each individual steps in Mark 1 and Mark 3 and so on. It was as a disciple, not just a follower, but a disciple, that Simon received his new title, a new name. In the Aramaic, Kepha, or Cephas, if you will, as rendered by some, which means rock or stone. So that's like a nickname or an epithet, uh, a nickname as we would use it today. It's usually used in the New Testament in the Greek form as Petros. And this term was given to him earlier, but also it gives rise to a lot of confusion of what occurs at Caesarea Philippi, which we'll explore. Jesus confirmed, conferred this title of Cephas, or Kepha. Um, uh, it, was, it was not known as a personal name previously, but he, at, his fir at their first encounter, John chapter 1, verse 42, Jesus calls him, uh, the rock or a stone, Cephas. And, but when you get to Matthew 16, we have an encounter at Caesarea Philippi. That's way up in the north. 
They're up there. And when Jesus came into the, this is recorded in Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, that Jesus says unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Key question. Key question for each of us. Who do you think Christ is? You know, we've all been beneficiaries of this marvelous film that Mel Gibson did called The Passion. A remarkable piece of, of uh, cinematography, and yet it fails in a couple of places. One of the primary ways it fails, it doesn't get across who he really is. And your answer to that question will determine your, etern your eternity. So he's, Jesus here is confronting his, his disciples. Okay, that's what they say. Whom say ye that I am? And this is one of Peter's finest moments. Because then Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In the International Standard Version Bible, they'll, they'll, they're gonna, they don't use the word Christ at all. They use the word Messiah, more definitive. The word Christ is just the Greek term for Messiah. When we, so, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Wow. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. But I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now this is a verse that has caused a lot of confusion and misunderstanding by not understanding the play on words that Jesus is indulging here. And I'll get back to that. But then he, he mentioned something else. He said, I will give unto thee the, kings, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall also be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, all kinds of, uh, uh, all kinds of groups, cult groups and others, have built all kinds of uh, uh, concepts on this one verse. And I'm not going to go into all of that here, but it's one that deserves very careful study on your own part. When you get into the kingdom of heaven, what does it really mean? And what are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The answer to that actually is in Isaiah 22, verse 22. But we're not going to get into that here. Let's continue here, though. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Wow. I thought we we're supposed to go out and declare that. Indeed, we are. But here at this time, not yet. And from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Jesus would know that for a number of reasons, not the least of which it was all prophesied in the scriptures. You can find this in the ninth chapter of Daniel and you can find this, uh, you can find the description uh, that is so detailed of the crucifixion that American Management Associ Medical Association has in their journal, they have articles describing the cause of death from the details that are described, described in Psalm 22. 
that was written 700 years before crucifixion was even invented. Anyway, but Jesus is explaining that that's all coming. He knew it was coming, and he, he explained it to him. Did they understand it? No. The guys didn't. They're confused. They remembered him saying that later, but they didn't understand at the time. The only, only a couple of the gals picked up on this later, we pick up. In fact, then Peter took him. He, ha he just had his finest moment, didn't he? And right on the heels of that, Peter took him and said, began to rebuke him. He's rebuking his Lord? Get serious here. Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, <laughs> this shall not be unto thee. Now we smile at Peter's um, presumption here, but we do the same thing. How often do we kneel in prayer and give God our want list, huh? Suggestion to God what needs to be done to straighten things out. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Boy, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I'm sure that would confuse them at the time. This is Matthew 16. The cross? What are you talking about, the cross? Well, in ten chapters later, they will understand. Jesus says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever loses life for my sake shall find it. For what is it man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall it man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he, then he shall reward every man according to his works. The rewards according to their works. Verily I say unto you, there, there are some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Many people don't understand that closing verse. The next verse in Matthew is chapter 17, verse 1, the transfiguration. That's what he's alluding to. He's not saying that his second coming is going to be during their lifetime. No, no, no. There are some of you standing here, and there were three of them that were standing there, shall not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So we'll get to that a little bit more later. But what is Jesus really saying at Caesarea Philippi to Peter and the gang? He says, Thou art a little stone, Peter, but upon this big rock I will build my church. He's not pointing to, you know, Petros is a little stone. Petra is a large rock. There's no definite article before the Petra. There is a definite, there's, excuse me, the definite article is used before Petra. There's no definite article used before Petros. Also, Jesus says, I will build, not the disciples, not the missionaries, Jesus, I will build the, my church. And I will build. That's future tense. He's going to do that in the future. He's not doing it yet at the time he's saying this. And what is the foundation here? Is the foundation this confession of Peter? Some people teach that. Is the foundation Peter himself? There's a play on words here, because of Petra, Petros, and so forth. Some people will build on that. Third possibility is that the foundation is what? Christ himself. And that is confirmed throughout the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 10.4, the rock that followed them in the wilderness was Christ. 
1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11 makes the same point. Ephesians 2, verse 19 through 23. Hammers that through, the, ro the rock. There is no other foundation that can be laid but that Christ... It's all about Jesus. Now, John's usual designation in his gospel is Simon Peter. Mark calls him Simon up to chapter 3, verse 16, and Peter almost invariably thereafter... And some people make the case that when he's referring to a Simon, you're referring to the natural man. When you're referring to the title that Jesus gave him, Petra, Petros, I should say, um, that's the born-again Peter. There's nothing in any case to suggest that the solemn words of Matthew 16, 18 represented the first bestowal of the name. Some people think that that's where he named him Peter. No, he gave him that name earlier. He's just using a play on words there in, in, in uh, Matthew 16, verse 18. Now, this incident is widely confused by many teachers of what happened to Caesarea, how to use that phrase from Caesarea Philippi. It is explained better for us as we get into Peter's letters. He'll point out that he, was, he in effect, is putting to silence this idea that he was the first pope that he was the leader of the early church, not true. And he so claims it's not true. If you just look at his letter. So we'll unravel that as we go through his two letters that we're going to undertake study here. If you think of all of Jesus' followers as a group, the general public, uh, uh, and to that general public, he only speaks in parables after Matthew 12. Within his followers, there's a group called the Seventy that are singled out in the scriptures. Within the 70, there's the 12. All of us have know, know, know about the 12. Within the 12, there clearly are three that are his inner circle. That's Peter, James, and John. Why are they in the inner circle? Well, they're the ones that were present at Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead. Those three were present at the transfiguration. Those three were in the, literally an inner circle at Gethsemane, and those three are joined by Andrew to make four to be at the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. As we study the Gospels, we again and again and again see three disciples that are singled out as the inner circle, if you will. So that's uh, not just a tra tradition, that's in the Scripture, clearly. So Peter was one of the first disciples called. And he always stands first in any list of disciples. And uh, he also is probably the subject of more jokes about entering heaven that have nothing to do with the Bible. When you get to heaven, Peter isn't at the gate to screen you through as the, all these silly little stories that we, we hear. But, uh, but Peter is also one of the three who formed the inner circle around the Master, as I've just highlighted to you. And his impulsive devotion is so conspicuous and so colorful, he endears him to all of us. And again and again and again, it's Peter that seems to open his mouth just to change feet, because he's often saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And yet his impulsive devotion is colorful and enjoyable. But he often acts as the spokesman for the Twelve. You can go through a whole list of references where it's Peter that seems to be the one that speaks up. So he seems to have a natural gift of leadership, at least in the, in the vocal sense. And uh, 
It's at that crisis at Caesarea Philippi that he actually isn't just speaking for himself. He's articulating for the whole band. For the question was directed to all of them. And uh, all are included in the look that that reprimand, subsequent reprimand has. Now, this, the transfiguration which immediately follows is intimately related to that confession that precedes it. And uh, the experience of the transfiguration made a very lasting impression on Peter, and he alludes to it again and again in his letters. So we want to be sensitive to that. Now, we all know the story of his denials. Jesus said that before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times, and three times are recorded in the Scripture, where he's confronted in the confusion following Gethsemane. Everybody's frightened and running. He's hanging around, and they recognize him. Three, three, different, three different incidents where he denies that he's a disciple. In fact, he even swears that he's not, finally, in Matthew 26, 74. I didn't bother digging out those scripts. I think that's well known enough to most of you. you. May not realize that in denying him, he lost his discipleship. Not suggesting he lost his salvation, but he apparently lost his discipleship. Why do I say that? Well, when you get to Mark 16, and the resurrection has taken place, and they're at the empty tomb, and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man, an angel apparently, sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. We always read this around Easter time, don't we? It's part of the resurrection story. But notice verse 7. This angel apparently says, But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. That's a strange phrase. Tell his disciples and Peter. Doesn't the word disciples include Peter? Apparently not at that moment. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. Peter is singled out for a special resurrection visibility, by the way. Now, he lost his discipleship when he denied, but he, he's going to get reinstated. The point I want to highlight as we go along here, discipleship can be lost. Salvation cannot be, because your salvation is 100% derives from Christ's completed work. But the rewards that are available to you for faithfulness can be forfeited by failure to be faithful. So discipleship can be lost, salvation cannot. Discipleship depends upon the faithfulness of the believer. No surprise? I want to underscore that as we go here. Let's look where he gets reinstated. You, go, you pop over to John 21. This is that morning that they're all up in Galilee. After the resurrection, he told them to wait up there. And they, they, they're take, they, they fish all night, can't catch anything. Jesus he invites them to put their net on the other side of the boat. And of course, it's, they get plenty, and so he invites them to breakfast. So they come ashore. And when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas... Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. 
He saith unto him a third time. When he did this the third time, if nothing else, it would sink into Simon. He's giving him three. He denied him three times. He's giving him three chances to, re to, to correct that. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Lord, Thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus, in the third time, then Jesus says, feed my sheep. Very familiar reinstatement of Peter's discipleship. Not his, his, his salvation hasn't been lost. He, that, was, that was his discipleship. But then Jesus continues, says, Verily I say unto thee, when thou hast, wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. So he's reinstated. And so, son, Simon, son of Jonas, that was his natural name that Jesus uses. First time, do you agape me? And Peter says, You know, I phileo you. Second time, Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? And the second time, Peter says, you know, Lord, that I phileo you. Third time, Jesus meets him on his own ground. Son of Jonah, phileo me? You know that I do, and so forth. It's interesting, much can be made of the different Greek verb here, agape being the most committed, uh, unconditional commitment kind of expression. Phileo being a, a, uh, an affectionate but lesser degree of commitment. Now, it's interesting to contrast Peter's rhetoric in the Gospels with his incredibly skillfully crafted sermons in Acts 2 and Acts 3. They're two ser first and second sermon. First sermon was in Acts 2, second sermon was in Acts 3. When you study those sermons, and we won't take the time here, but it is astonishing to see how different, how skillful, how articulate, how crisp, how well-organized those are. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler teaching through the book of 1 Peter. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android App Store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.